Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog for another episode of RPG Lab. I'm here with Rob, Elliot, Nick, and Adam to talk about our Adventures in Middle-Earth sessions that we ran. Rob ran us through the Cubicle 7 Adventures in Middle-Earth, which is sort of a 5e version of The Lord of the Rings. Um, and, uh, and so we got a taste of what that system uh, had to offer, and we just wanted to have a sort of a roundtable discussion about it. So, I don't know, Rob, why don't you maybe lead with uh, talking about just the game in general for people who don't know what it is. Well, um, a couple of years back, uh, Cubicle 7 got the license to do a Middle-Earth role-playing game, and they came out with the One Ring. And uh, it's, uh, it's a game that puts an emphasis. It has some a fair amount of narrative mechanics, and uh, it was uh, pretty abstract in some areas. And uh, But it, it developed a, a good uh, fan base. Um, but because of the system, I never really, you know, read much of it. And then, um, I think it's two years now, two years ago, uh, they took advantage of the release of the fifth edition system reference document to, uh, release Adventures in Middle-Earth as a, uh, fifth edition, uh, supplement. And what they did was they did something rather very interesting in... They pretty much jettisoned all the stuff, the D and D five E stuff, the classes, the magic, the uh, monsters. They're all compatible, but what they did is they they uh, uh, presented their a complete set of their own version. Now some of them, like the warrior, are pretty close to the D and D five E fighter, the slayer. <clears throat> Although the uh, the background of the Slayer is slightly different, but the powers are pretty much those of the barbar the fifth edition barbarian. There are tweaks to make it fit in Middle Earth, but then they they, they did they had radically different classes like the uh, scholar, which was uh, uh, Venture to the Middle Earth doesn't have spells and have spell and. Uh, um, uh, memorization um it has magic but it's not it's all subtle and it's mostly wrapped up in the class ability and uh their version of feet which is called virtues and it's very subtle much like what you read in the middle earth novels and saw somewhat in the movies and uh so they the the, the actual list of classes were a mix of those and in, instead of races they they opted to present cultures, so you pick a culture. Now, the culture comprised of uh, what region you're from and a race. So uh, you can be an elf of, of Mirkwood, like uh, Elliot was, or you can be an elf of Rivendell. Mm -hmm. And I assume that uh, someday down the line they'll have a, uh, an elf of the Havens, which is the... Uh, the havens west of the Shire, where the elves still build ships that go over to, they're still able to go west to, to Valinor. And, uh, you know, the same with the dwarves. You have the dwarves of the Blue Mountains, you have the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain, dwarves of the Iron Hill. Uh, you know, so you have different types of dwarves uh, also listed in the game. And, uh, and the humans are the most diverse culture. You have woodsmen, you have. Uh, Dunedines, you have men of Bree, you have men of Lake Town, men of Dale, because 
the game, uh, all their supplements so far are pretty much take place in the years after the Battle of the Five Army, but before the Lord of the Rings. So Dale, by this time, has been refounded by King Bard, and so there's that as a culture. And so that's what you pick instead of a race. And uh, you can see, like, some of the... Uh, D and D five uh, E default stuff in there, in that every 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 culture that has a human that's human has a starting virtue. Um, for example, like in D and D five E, a human gets to go with a starting feat if you're using feats in five E. And then they do stuff like uh, totally rework the feat system into what they call the virtue system. There are some general virtues, but most of the virtues are found in one's cultural virtue. And that's where Elliot got his uh, elven... Uh, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but his elven spells. Uh, he picked a cultural virtue because we started out with fifth-level characters. <clears throat> so he's eligible to take one. So he picked that to allow him to do things with his elf lights and similar things. And for example, if you were a woodsman, one of the cultural virtues you can take is get a dog, a guard dog. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dog actually kind of levels up with you, and that's a bit nice bit of uh, flavor. And then um, the other things they do is uh, they modified uh, how rest and recovery work in that you can only take a long rest and recover everything if you're in what they call a sanctuary, which is either something that uh, is your basically your home or, or safe refuge. So you cannot be in the wilderness and uh, take a long rest and recover all your hit points. Instead, you can only take short rest, and, uh, and eventually you wind up using all your hit dice and... Uh, you know, not have any means of uh, recovery left except for maybe some class abilities. But even those get up, used up without the ability to have a long rest. So it makes it for a game that uh, feels much more grittier than the standard D&D 5e. Then they have completely new mechanics like Shadow and uh, Journeys. Shadow, there's a game out there by Chaosium, a classic called Call of Cthulhu. And one of the hallmarks of Call of Cthulhu is they, t they track insanity. And the thing about Call of Cthulhu is that your character, if he adventures long enough, will go insane. Just the way it works. Dealing with the, the dark, you know, the ancient ones, the, the, the deep one, the deep old one, uh, will drive a character insanity. So a lot of Call of Cthulhu campaigns revolve around <clears throat> what can I do to help the world until I go insane? Well, the equivalent in Ventures in Middle-Earth are Shadow. And at first, if you read Shadow Point, it looks like you're punishing people. Because one of the things that sh you'll get Shadow Point is doing what they call misdeed, evil acts. Mm -hmm. Like you walk through Lake Town and pick somebody's pocket. You're going to be... Uh, making a roll to see if you gain any shadow points. Um, the very act of, uh, you know, say you are traveling to uh, Bree on the uh, on the Great Road, and 
you stumbled across a caravan that was traveling to be, but that was attacked by orcs and burned, and it just the bodies were mutilated. You would you would have to make a shadow saving throw or gain a shadow point just by the act of seeing, just by standing there and seeing this horrifying act. But it's better to think of shadow and adventures in Murder Earth as the fact that Sauron is an evil that exists. And his influence extends throughout Middle Earth, and it's always seeking cracks in a person, in a character's psyche, to enter him and to magnify their worst impulse. So you have to be kind of be willing to go along with the flow, just like if you play Call of Cthulhu, you have to be willing to kind of roleplay the insanities that are inflicted upon you. But overall, it's a mechanic. I feel it really captures some of the feel that you see read about in the books and the, and see you see somewhat in the movies. And uh, the next mechanic, it's a very clever way. Uh, they have a very clever way of handling long journeys in that if you measure distance on any of the Middle Earth maps, either with the game or outside of it, you'll notice that to get anywhere it involves travel for a very long time. The guy, You guys had to actually travel a week to get from where you started, which was Roscobol, Radagast's home, through the mountain hall and across the river Anduin into the Misty Mountain. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a journey about 200 miles that you had to make. So rather than doing what D&D traditionally does, which is roll periodically for encounters, instead, you look at the, uh, the length of the journey and you roll, and that's how many encounters you have. So you can have two encounters, you can have six encounters. Then you roll what each encounter is are. And what makes it nice is that you can sprinkle those encounters along the journey uh, in whatever way that makes sense. And I found this very refreshing. Because, you know, when you do it day by day, sometimes when you roll something, you get a little hard-pressed to think yeah. exactly why are these orcs in this particular spot. But with the liberty of sprinkling the, the, the encounters all way long you can you know bunch them up and say oh you know what you know i four of these encounters will take place probably in one day in this one spot because it is a swamp infected with undead and other horrible things so all of them will likely occur here and then the other one there may be one before that and one after that so you get that freedom I, I could that. I could feel that as a player, by the way. That felt to me like the part of the game that really <laughs> emulated the feel of the stories to me. Like it, 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 it uh, and 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 I think um, you know, I didn't know exactly what you were doing on the other side of the screen, but I just had a sense that it was that because uh, you had mentioned that mechanic to me prior to play that 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 was something that really made the game shine. I, yeah, I, and then I, I another. I'm sorry, go on, Nick. Oh, I just wanted to add to that. I think that's one of the things that definitely made Middle-Earth feel different um, as a game is that the journey is part of what happens, just like the book Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So whereas Dungeons & Dragons doesn't usually give a lot of uh, you know, <laughs> emphasis on travel, this absolutely does. The... Uh... And, the, and a lot of the events that happen on the, the journey, they're not encounters, so to speak, but events. So, you know, like the first one is a chance encounter, which is basically your traditional encounter. But then you have a herbs of stewed rabbit. You have a chance of getting food for your party, obstacle, 
Uh, and I believe this is one you encountered. Wonder into Middle Earth. Uh, the company finds presented with a spectacular bit. Uh, no, no. You were lingering memories of times long past. The company mm. discovers a relic of your past age, a statue of building, the remains of an ancient settlement. And, uh, you know, and then each of these encounters have a, a uh, role, a series of roles that you deal with. Uh, to, to resolve them after you do some role-playing about about them. And uh, some of these, like, if you didn't want to hunt for, for food, you have plenty of food on you, you can uh, avoid it. And then the other thing about uh, encounters, or the journey things, is, is that exhaustion. Now, you guys didn't run into this too much, but exhaustion plays a major factor in uh, adventures in Middle-earth. Um, in D and D five E, they have a mechanic called exhaustion. There are six levels. The six of the, the highest of which, number six, is death. The first of which, if you have one level of exhaustion, is you fight, you make your attacks at a disadvantage, and some of your physical ability rolls. Uh, the second level is your movement is halved. So, in event, and normally in D and D five E, you can wipe out your levels of exhaustion by taking a long rest. Well, as, you, as I mentioned earlier, you don't get to take a long rest in adventures in Middle-earth until you're in a sanctuary. But you could be stuck out in the wilderness, and you could be low on food, so you decide to, when you ran into a herbs of stewed rabbit, you decided to hunt that deer that you ran across, but totally mucked up. It rolled a one on your, your survival roll for hunting. And uh, you suffer a level of exhaustion. And now, anything else you encounter... You're at a disadvantage, or if you were going to some site to, you know, to investigate as part of the adventure, you arrive at that site exhausted. However, in keeping with the Middle Earth theme, you know there are herbs. There are a few limited effects that can remove these levels of exhaustion. So, for example, you know later in the a journey, a your scholar could be search, you know, see an area where he knows that uh, there is a I, I probably got the herb wrong, but uh, let's call it a red lot water lily exists. And he knows red lot, well, when properly prepared, a red lot water lily will remove levels of exhaustion. So he can spend time searching for those. And uh, if he find, if he's successful in his role, he, he can possibly get the uh, players out of exhaustion. In fact, for my other group that I ran, Adventures in Middle Earth, one whole session turned into an adventure itself because of levels of exhaustion. They were traveling from Roscobol, where you guys started, to um, uh, the, the old fort, uh, a, a crossing of the Anduin. And it was a journey that took five, four or five days. Well, I rolled that uh, they ran into an obstacle, and I decided, based on their past adventure, that some of the, their, one of their enemies, uh, some bandits uh, change, alter the path that they were traveling and shunt them into an area that was swampy and difficult in hopes of uh, exhaust, literally exhausting them so they can capture them later. And the party blew their roles. I mean, they, they didn't notice the clues I was giving them and they blew their roles. So they wound up stumbling out of this swamp on the, third day, on the second day of the journey, all tired and fighting a disadvantage. Then that next day, they were waylaid by the bandits. 
They were captured. So now their original plan is totally out the window. So the, so the rest of the session with them be traveling with the bandit to where, wherever they're going to be held prisoner. But the party was thinking on their feet. And one of the party was very good at uh, tradition and persuasion and stuff. And he convinced one of the greedier bandits that they stashed some gold in the area when they were trying to, they, they kind of went back toward basketball and they were sneaking around it because they didn't want to encounter anybody living there. And he said, well, did you know the dwarf hid some of his gold here and that if, if while the rest of are asleep, we can lead you to it. And the guy, and the guy bought it. The bandit bought it hook, line, and sinker. So late that night, he took the two party members out into the woods and they role played it well. And finally, when they were far enough, they just, even though they were tied up and stumbling around and still exhausted, they attacked the bandit. And oh, it was an epic fight. And, you know, the whole fight was turned on. The dwarf was keeping the bandit occupied while the scholar managed to douse the, the bandit with oil. And then, he's, then he was. He lit the torch on fire. We were trying to hit the boy, bandit, but for five rounds, he kept missing. While, while the dwarf was running around the battlefield, because I use, as you guys know, I use, use uh, miniatures, i.e. token mm. and map. The dwarf was running around, throwing rocks and stuff at the bandit, trying to keep the bandit occupied. Finally, the... Uh, the... Uh, Scholar. Scholar connected with a torch, lit the guy on fire, and that was with the with some minor damage the guy suffered before. That was enough to take it down. And then they had to find shelter, but that was kind of an epic journey of itself. And they suffered another long level of exhaustion, so they were half speed. And then it were, they didn't think they were going to survive, but they managed to get to a town, a, a place where there were woodsmen, and get rescued. But and all of that is from the mechanic. I didn't plan any yep. of that. So, no the mecha- so. the mechanic the mechanics do seem like they really support the feel a lot, and there's a lot of sort of uh, things that naturally arise from them. Um, I'm curious too, like what, starting with Elliot and then going to Nick and then going to Adam. What was you, how did you guys feel just playing the game for the first time? What was your reactions to it? I I felt like I was in middle earth. You know, it was uh, not only the fact that the Roll20 had a lot of resources on it, which made it easy to refer to areas visually. Um, and also, you know, we had it all kind of fleshed out in front of us. But as you guys were talking about with the mechanics, it all felt like it also lent into the story in every single facet of its design. You know, like those uh, random encounters that we were just talking about to myself felt extremely natural. They felt like it was, you know, I was being taken on the adventure entirely inside of the story. It didn't feel like in D&D sometimes, or, you know, possibly even in some sessions where I've done with Wandering Heroes of Oakgate, where something is sprung on you, you know, yeah. it's entirely bad. It, it almost felt like we were just stumbling upon it in the world, rather yeah. than it kind of coming to us. So I felt like it was really, really well in kind of, a, in, in the depth of it. So, yeah. Nick? You know, I love 
Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's work, and I think I often feel like I don't know it as well as many of my other friends who play it. So I came into this game a little bit concerned that I might not be able to fit into the feel of the game right away. And Rob had pre-generated characters for us, which was a huge advantage as far as I was concerned. But as soon as we started playing, um, and maybe this is a testament to Rob's game mastership, um, I absolutely felt like I was uh, in the world of Lord of the Rings and in Middle-earth itself. And it was kind of neat because, you know, thanks to copyright issues back in the 70s, things had to be changed in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, like, you know, Hobbits became halflings after the first edition of the game was put out and things like that. So it was actually very nice to be able to have Hobbits, in a, <laughs> you know, in a fifth ed game that, that, that fit right in. Um, but I'll say I, I kind of felt that once our characters had all met one another, sort of once we kind of got through that whole, you know, we had known each other and we kind of had a reason for our fellowship to be together, um, it felt very natural. And maybe thanks to the films, you know, and, you know, the books and the cartoons that some of us have seen and things like that, um, I felt very comfortable in the game feeling like it was it was real token Lord of the Rings. And I made a comment earlier, you know, saying that, you know, that suddenly the journey became important. And to me, that was very much a part of the game that is something that I gloss over in almost every other role-playing game that I play. Sort of getting somewhere is like the cutscene that happens yep. rather than the action that happens. And I really felt that once we began playing, it became a natural fit, and it really felt to me, like we were in Middle Earth. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, yeah. I would, uh, I would agree with the feeling of it, and I would, I would, I would, you know, adding on to your point, I would say this is a game where you, you're really gonna like it if you are seriously into, you know, Middle Earth. If you, if you got like an obsessive knowledge about it, I think you're gonna be happy with it. But I wouldn't let that scare you off. I feel like, I mean, characters in Middle Earth can be explorers. You could be just someone from the Shire who's never set outside the Shire. You could be, you know, a guy from from uh, from Lake Town who's never explored much. And I mean, it's you, you don't. I don't feel like you need to come into the game with that knowledge, but you'll you'll appreciate it if you if you do have it. I mean, I say that as someone that I about twenty years ago was probably the peak of my knowledge on, on Middle Earth, and it's, it, well, I've probably forgotten a lot over the years, but I, I felt uh, very comfortable with it. And, but yeah, it's, it does a, a very, a very good job of the system. The travel rules, which is, we've talked about a lot already, those, those felt very good. I mean, they're mechanically structured, but in a way that you don't, you don't feel like you're locked in by it. It, it prevents, it provides opportunities for you, not a, not kind of imprisoning you in it and uh yeah my my biggest concern when we sat down to play was uh you know I, there's my character sheet like I said we have pre-generated character sheets my character sheet has 10 like 10 unique special abilities on it which is like man that's a lot of special abilities to have on a character sheet but they are all they are all mechanically pretty simple 
and they were all pretty flavorful and they were all, I didn't actually use every single one, but I used the majority of them and every single one, if we continued to play longer, I felt like, yeah, I would have used that. So it's a, it's a case of, I, I really appreciated the design that went into all these special abilities. It's like, you know, a lot of times you have all those special abilities, you're like, okay, well, this one is my best special ability, and I'm just going to hammer on this one over and over again. Yeah. But it was it, it is it is a really well thought out system. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I I found this to be very good at emulating the the tr- the, the trilogy. I I I, I it, sort of like Elliot was saying. I really felt like I was there, and I felt like I was in a new story in middle earth like it just kind of you know and and i think a lot of it really did hinge on that fact the fact that the you know the middle earth the 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 lord of the rings is largely about getting there that's sort of the the journey is the story Mm -hmm. and so uh you know having the journey be meaningful made a big difference and again i i I still haven't quite wrapped my head around how that journey mechanic works because i haven't run it myself but just playing through it i could feel that it was it was different enough to produce this result that I don't think I've really experienced in, in another game. Um, and, and like Adam was saying, the abilities, they have a lot of flavor to them and they were really helping me guide my, my character decisions in a lot of ways, which I thought was useful. And, and I guess to, you know, the, the other thing I liked about the game was the shadow mechanic seemed like it had a lot of, a lot of good flavor to it. I didn't get it. We didn't really get to explore it to its finality. Um, but I could sense that that was going to be a really good part of the game. You know, it was, for me, it was up there with the powers checks from Ravenloft, it, or or like Rob said, the insanity rules in Call of Cthulhu. Um, I'm sorry, Nick, did you want to say something? Yeah, I, I did actually. I it, it was interesting to me because of the shadow mechanic. Uh, I, I I played a human fighter in in the game. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the exact equivalent was. Uh, as it's titled, but I started with a number of shadow points, and maybe bec- and and Rob talked us through it uh, how, about how I I amassed a number of shadow points that, where I was actually very worried about that as we played. So to see that sort of Call of Cthulhu style mechanic make its way into a game, I felt like that was an outstanding way to check characters. Sometimes when you play a game of Dungeons and Dragons, certain people, you know, who who aren't necessarily good at kind of following their alignment rules or whatever, do crazy things or do, you know, do things that they shouldn't. They kill the orc babies, they do whatever, you know, it is that that (laughs) is a little bit outside of the the dimension of their character or maybe a little bit outside of what their character should be played for convenience, and I really felt that that shadow mechanic, because you know it, it's looming over you in this game, definitely made me very careful about some of the decisions that my character made as we continued through the adventure. And so I was definitely being a little bit more thoughtful rather than than impulsive for my character, who who was who was a fighter, who would normally run into combat. I really had to make sure that once I, I would only commit to combat once I knew that there were villains at hand rather than, you know, quote unquote shooting and then asking yeah. questions later. Like and, and so I really liked that mechanic as a great way to keep players on track so that they're acting how they should be. 
So. Yeah, unless I was playing a burglar in the in the in the group too. It's like I I wasn't being the, the typical thief character who's like, ooh, there's something lying there. I'm gonna grab it. It's like you. It's like there's only one thing I, I stole during the session, and I was very appropriately motivated in doing that. So. Yeah, but doesn't well, the Rob does the mechanic have um sort of allure to it as well? Is it is it like both seductive and punishing at the same time? Because I kind of got the impression that over time there might be benefits to uh to to going down that path for certain characters um you know in in, in benefits in, well benefits in the, like like is there like uh, this is one aspect of the mechanic i was a little bit unclear on is there uh you know like is 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 there would there be a reason for me to to embrace the shadow as a player or is it all punitive well Technically, it's all punitive, but it's structured in a way that, uh, you know, you know, sometimes it's easier to go down the left-hand path to get what you want. <laughs> okay. What okay. you got away. Yeah, well, like I said, my, my burglar character, it's like when we were when we were hanging out with the humans and stuff, I could have been like, hey, I'm going to pick some pockets. Then I've got more gold to spend on cool stuff. So it's like, I think... I think the benefits are just purely within, within the, setting the setting itself rather mm -hmm. than the mechanics. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, mean think, I was going to say, Brendan, it was almost like you're asking a bit like the corruption system in Warhammer 40k Black Crusade, where as you accumulate corruption, you might have a negative or positive effect. Yeah, I was, I, I was wondering like if anything like that cropped have into something, it. something, you know, hideously deformed grow up of you, or you could be blessed by it chaotic prince and you know be given a giant sword or something you know but, but yeah, i think this is just mostly the story yeah there 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 no there's no upside in serving sauron he is truly the ultimate evil in middle earth i mean basically as you progress i mean if you if your say your weakness is uh lower power and you finally uh, start uh, accruing your first shadow, your permanent shadow point, and you start degenerating, you start off by being resentful, then you go to being arrogant, then you got to role play resentful, arrogant, and overconfident, and then just before your uh, last, uh, before you're totally lost to the shadow, you also become tyrannical. Mm. So... Nick would have been bossing, trying to boss you out, guys, all around. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, to to me, I wanted to say that, like, what I liked about that though was that there's a sort of a purity to the game, right? So when when guy when Gary Gygax first wrote like D and D and kind of invented role playing games the way we know them, the the goal was really for everybody to play good guys and fight bad guys, right? <laughs> and so over the course of 30-plus years of this pastime, right? Sometimes we sit at a table and a friend of ours will look at us and go, oh, I've got this great idea where I'm going to play this, like, half-demon, fallen, like, paladin who's going to, like, be evil and, like, find a way to travel with you guys but really be a badass, you know? And you're like, ah, oh, like, the one thing that I really liked about this game is we all started on the same page of, yes, we have to fight Sauron yeah. and his forces. And to mm -hmm. me, there was this sort of understanding that we were going to undertake this in a positive way rather than yeah. a negative way, and I really like that. And let me I, just I'm read something. Say... Okay, go on, Elliot. 
So I was just going to say, it really felt like a lot of the mechanics and stuff like The Shadow tied in with the books and the movies in ways like where you're talking about Shadow just there, where as you'd pick it up, you might gain even becoming tyrannical towards the end. It kind of ties into some of the scenes we've seen of like um, in Rohan at first, the uh, the guy who was in charge of that, you know, the kind of like the paleness that comes upon him, Grima Wormtongue. And all those other characters, when you see them being attracted to Shadow, it's really not an attractive look. It really does degrade them and, you know, kind of getting that feel across and the mechanics tying it into that, it does feel like it builds upon the story all the way through. And here's the thing, until you get that very last shadow point, uh, permanent shadow point, I mean, they, they, they call it out here in a paragraph perfectly. A flawed adventure had not lost the possibility of being a hero. Many of the characters described in the book display the influence of the shadow mm. at some measure. In most cases, they were able to keep their weakness in check, avoiding corruption's most direct consequences. So until that very last permanent shadow point, you can be fighting every step of the way, mm. still trying to be the hero, even though Boromir. you are Boromir. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, that no, it, it it definitely it definitely uh, fits in that respect. Um, the uh, the other thing I, I think this does sort of go in line with what Nick was saying is just the party cohesion was very. I, I like definitely noticed that the, that was very strong from the from the start. Um, but something else that Nick and Adam said uh, was was a concern I had going in, which is you know, Lord of the Rings. It's 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 got to be the only franchise where if you've if you've read all the books twice that still sort of makes you feel like you have this inadequacy going in um you know you know it's just you know like because because it's 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 something where people will, will read it you know 30 times in in and 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 be familiar with all of the supplementary material and so I felt going in like, oh, I, you know, I, I mean, I know Lord of the Rings, but I don't know if I know Lord of the Rings, you know, to the, to the degree that Rob does or the degree that the people that made this game do. And maybe I'll fall a little bit short. And I, and I got to say, playing it, I did, you know, I, you know, I, I, I felt totally at ease. And I think, you know, I'll go ahead, Rob. Well, I got to say, you know, their supplements were really, this is good. Mm. This, all these books that they have are great. And you're holding up so, what's the what's the two books that you were holding up just so that people know? Well, this is the core book. Uh, so that's the, the player's Adventures guide. In and uh, you know, this is the DM's guide, mm -hmm. which is very good. Uh, but this is Adventures in Middle Earth, so immediately when you start reading this, you get a sense of where they're going with it, especially for, especially with the fact that the setting is set five years after the battle of five five armies. And then what they really do to, to cap it off. Yeah, I don't have it next to me, but they have these supplements. Uh, one's called the uh, Rovanan region, and the other one is called the uh, Mirkwood campaign. Now, the Mirkwood campaign to Adventures in Middle Earth, and the One Ring for that matter, uh, it's the same thing as the. You guys ever heard of the Great Pendragon campaign for yes. King Arthur's Pendragon? Well, this is the Mirkwood campaign is the same thing for Adventures in Middle Earth. It starts out five years after the Battle of Five Armies, gives you periodic adventures to sprinkle through, and it lasts over for twenty years. And uh, twenty years it, of setting time, I'm assuming. 
Right. Which doesn't no, take 20 you years to... of game plan. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't take that long. It's yeah. not so much a book as an almanac. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, one no, thing... no, it, it's about this thick. But between uh, between uh, Adventure Waterland Adventures and uh, uh, the Rovanan Region Guide and uh, the Mirkwood Campaign, they do a really good job of painting how Middle Earth is at this in this region at this period of time, and then they come out with then they're slowly expanding to other regions. This is the latest book I got. Eridor Adventures. And this has a somewhat different field. Eridor is much more empty than the region around Mirkwood. Mm. And uh, and this one is centered a lot around the uh, the plans and Mechanashian I don't think I said that right. Anyway, the plans in, of the uh, the Witch King of Agmar uh, and his return before the uh, Lord of the Rings. Because you know, between the Battle of Five Armies and the start of the Lord of the Rings, Sauron returned to uh, Mordor and was calling all evil to him and line, setting up the chessboard for what would eventually become the War of the Ring. And, you know, both the Mirkwood campaign, Eridor adventures, and to some extent, Waterland adventures, you'll deal with this coming shadow. And, uh, and particularly for the Mirkwood region, what's nice is you know what kind of happens from the book in that Sauron assaults Dale and uh, Lake Town and Erebor, and they, they, they kind of manage to fend them off, but they don't give you any details why. Mm -hmm. What happened? So there's a very clever choice to set of things in Waterlands because... What you do as your player could have been the reason why they triumphed in the book. Okay, yeah, now, yeah that mm. makes that makes good sense. Yeah, uh, a lot of room for you to step into roles that are needed. Yeah, they did a great job both in the in the one ring role playing game that they also made and this five e one of, of picking a time and a place to set this game. I mean, because that's that's something going back to the nineteen eighties. The original Star Wars role playing game was very clever in setting it after A New Hope, a bit before Empire Strikes Back, because you don't know how much time takes place between those movies. So it's a, it's this, you can, you can go, you can run a campaign for a few years and the players could do all kinds of things. And it's kind of the ideal time period where the bad guys are around, the good guys are around, and there's plenty of things to do. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, because that's the, that's the hardest thing about these licensed properties is your players feeling irrelevant, that, that this that game doesn't have that problem at all. Now, I will say, people who want to try the One Ring, these supplements are pretty much the same, except for the mechanical details. Like, for example, they give you monsters, you know, at the end of this that are geared for Avengers in Middle-earth directly, like this guy. Yeah, they look gorgeous, too. That's the other thing about these books, is they really do look sharp. Um, but the setting detail and the plots are the same for both. So if you think you're going to get... Something <laughs> different if you buy the one e the one ring version versus the adventures in the Mer Middle Earth, not really. Okay. So, Elliot, something we'll um I was gonna say in regards to the setting, which uh, I found fantastic, was because you had chosen to you know because of the time that it set out and the fact that you had told us about that as we were going into it. Uh, myself and Adam had this encounter with what turned out to be uh, Saruman, <laughs> you know. 
And it was a fantastic moment because kind of out of character, myself and Adam were going, oh boy, oh God. You know, and we've just kind of recovered a belt that was created by Morgoth. And our only real course of, you know, going forwards was to hand over that belt to Saruman. Because to yeah. our characters, that's absolutely the correct decision to do. He's the leader of the Wizards <laughs> Order and stuff. Or was it sent us on this mission? That's done and dusted, taken care of. And, you know, it was... It was Pretty, pretty fun. Pretty fun, actually, to be kind of like playing that in character with our own kind of knowledge of Lord of the Rings and stuff, and going like, yeah. "Oh this, shit, what have we?" This couldn't have ended in a better way. This is perfect. But uh, yeah, it was a nice sense of irony at the end of the adventure. Yeah. That was a random encounter, by the way. <laughs> oh really? I can, I can tell now. At the time, I didn't know if it was, but you know, that's the kind of thing. Like now that you've mentioned those mechanics to me, I can kind of see where it slots in. But at the time it felt like just a part of a journey and story. It felt like it was kind of all tied in together and, you know, didn't feel out of place at all. Yeah, when a random encounter can create a perfect ending like that, that's a, that's a, a nice nice touch on the system, definitely. Yeah, like, number 12 on the table is that you meet one of the great or wise, either positive or negative, uh, of Middle-earth. So... Given the circumstances, I thought uh, Saruman was the best choice. Now, I got to ask you, Rob, because you, you you've clearly got a lot of these books, and I'm I'm curious, is this is this like one of or possibly your favorite game that's uh, recently available? Because it seems like it's made a big impression on you. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, this is the latest RPG. It's not going to replace what I do with my Majestic Waterland, mm -hmm. but it's going to sit there along with Traveler and Champion as one of my go-to RPGs to run campaigns with. And it's actually probably, other than Harnmaster, I, I guess it's my third fantasy RPG that now I would be happily play a campaign, especially when I have an idea, a specific idea for something. So, yeah, and I also think that this guy is the template. And if any RPG designer in the industry would be a fool not to look at this of how to adapt a, a, a licensed system to mm. uh, a pre-existing RPG. And, and it, it, it illustrates my point. I mean, I'm, I know I'm a bit the old man on the point porch shouting at people coming by sometime at this point, but... My, my point is there's a difference between the mechanics of the rules and the stuff containing the rules. That, you know, what you do to hit somebody, to damage something, you know, that can be pretty much done with rules as written. But all the other stuff, the character class, the skill list, the feat list, the monsters, the spells, those can all be radically changed to produce a campaign with a very different feel, but you're still playing the same set of rules. You're not mm -hmm. throwing away all your knowledge. And you don't have to twist the setting into something that is not just to fit your rules. Mm. Instead, by changing the stuff, you can make the rules make the, be the perfect you know, musical instrument to play that song for that it setting. It did feel to me like they may move the rules to uh, in the right direction on, on every front, like like from the magic to the journey mechanic to every, it all just kind of. You know, like, the classic complaints about Lord of the Rings games didn't arise in my mind when I was playing this. Yeah, I I feel like it's a good combination because 
D&D 5e has been really good for simplifying a lot of rules that have been complicated in older systems and just kind of getting to the whole thing of these are the numbers that you need to beat, these are the numbers that you roll, you know, everybody can kind of get behind that D20 system quite easily. But uh, what Adventures in Middle-earth did is that they really did just shift everything to the side that was unnecessary for the story of what they're trying to portray. Because that's the main thing behind this, and I feel like that did come along quite well, you know. Yeah. The mechanics were designed to reinforce the area of where you're at, what you're doing, and, you know, what kind of adventure you're doing. Now, everybody, out of everybody here, Elliot, you're the only one other than me who played a lot of 5e, right? Yeah, I think so. So what did you think of this in relation to your regular 5e? Do you think somebody who played 5e would, they, they have, it, they don't I have think, to worry about it as much? I think yes, to, to a large extent. I mean, I'd say that for anybody who's got experience with 5e going into this, forget about classes for the most part. Some of them are translated pretty well, but don't worry about your class progression in the same kind of way. You know, like D&D 5e had already done a large thing where the amounts of feats that you got are reduced, which means that it's not as much of a kind of really plan out exactly what your progression is, get this feat into this feat into this feat and stuff, you know, and... So going into 5e, you're already used to having a bit less choice there, but those choices being more impactful. Here, it really does rely, as uh, as Rob was saying before, around where you're from and what's available to you from that. Mm. And it makes it feel a lot more tied into the actual world around you, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, well, uh, when, when P- I, I played some, I'm actually playing in a 5e game now. and uh, Well, this isn't my complaint. A lot of people who do... Who, who like 5e, but the, the most common complaint I see is that there isn't as much flavor as in the early editions. Mm-hmm. And this this definitely corrects that. This is like dripping with flavor. So if you're someone that likes 5e, but you feel like the flavor's a little lacking, this this is a, a perfect game to pick up. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so we're we're coming up on 45 minutes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end the episode shortly. Uh, but I wanted to see. Does anybody have any additional thoughts they wanted to? To, to express before we head out? Uh, you guys were all great role players. You really got into your roles, and that's half the battle with uh, you know playing an Adventures Middle-Earth campaign. So it was a lot of fun refereeing all you guys. No, Very fun playing. Fun playing with you, definitely. Yeah, yeah Rob's run two... Uh, two or three games for us at this point, and they've all, I, 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 I they've all been very impressive. I gotta say, yeah, I'm not just saying that because he's here. As as a conflict, I had to be somewhere at like 1 p.m. the morning we played, and we we did actually wrap up in time, but about an hour and a half into the last session, I was like, I don't care, I'm not, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be late. We're gonna finish this adventure, right? So I mean, I was, I was really feeling about myself because we were, we were very into it, you know, like. It was a really good combination as well of the mechanics of play going into the whole fact we were doing it kind of miniatures on Roll20, but really playing into the whole situation, why we were there, what we could do, because we were essentially two rogues from 5e, you know, kind of like going into this really hostile situation with a lot of enemies and stuff. So we couldn't just run in there and take it on. We didn't have a warrior or anything like that. You know, we could only rely on ourselves and, you know, what we had kind of established our classes could do, and etc. And it worked 
perfectly with all the mechanics, the movement, everything, and it felt like a mobile fluid situation that could be translated to paper or to you know film very easily. It felt very alive. Yeah, and the uh, and so the the game is it's Adventures in Middle Earth is the title, right, Rob? The, uh, the yes, and Adventures in Middle Earth, and it's by Cubicle Seven. So I, we'll post a link to the to the web page in the description below. But but yeah, I, I was very impressed with it, and uh, we'll be back on. I don't you know periodically we're going to try to do this thing where we do we, we play games and we talk specifically about the games. I imagine next uh, podcast will probably be more topical. Um, but uh, but again, this is the 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 RPG lab where we just kind of the, the idea is we want to actually get some some live play at the table when we're talking about these things, not just talk about them at a theoretical level. And uh, and so yeah, so so uh, we'll let you go. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. 